Hello everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. I'm your host, as always, Christian Massar, and uh, what this episode will be today is another uh, installment of Strategic Thoughts, where I look at military history, strategy, and the like. And today we'll be looking at Russia's involvement in the Syrian civil war, and also the impact on, on Russia's uh, weapons trade. Um, some of the weapons that Russia has tested in the Syrian campaign, and also how this might affect Russia's uh, position on the weapons market. So let's get right into it. Russia deployed its military to Syria in September 2015 to help preserve President Bashar al-Assad's government. As the campaign progressed, Russian forces established themselves on bases such as Khamaimim Air Base and the port of Latakia. Russian personnel also gained practical experience, such as in precision bombing and in coordinating operations with Allied forces. During an interview with Moskovsky Komsomolets, Russia's Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu claimed that the Syrian mission has allowed Russia's military to test, improve, and quote, finalize 300 weapon systems. This proving has even allowed personnel and weapons manufacturers to account for Syria's desert climate, for example, which can affect weapon effectiveness. Such improvements can increase the weapons' attractiveness to prospective customers on the world arms market, in which Russia has consistently held second place behind the United States. How has the Syrian campaign helped boost Russian arms sales? And that's our question today. Moscow has been selling weapons to Damascus since the early days of the Cold War. For recent numbers, we can look at analysis from the arms market research group Stockholm International Peace Research Institute, or CIPRI. From 2009 to 2013, the Syrian government bought many more Russian weapons than in the later period of 2014 and 2018. This is likely because Russia's military became directly involved in the Syrian war during this second period, starting that again in 2015. Thus, Syria had a decreased need to buy Russian weapons than before Russia's involvement. According to CIPRI's figures, Russia sold 16 million trend indicator value, or TIV, units worth of arms to Syria in 2015, and only 3 million TIVs worth in 2016. And just to explain the TIV, the TIV is CIPRI's proprietary statistical unit measuring a sold system's production cost, not its sales value. Possibly in order to replenish Syria's military inventory, this number greatly increased in 2017 and 2018 with values of 25 million and 181 million TIVs, respectively. So you had a high level of Syrian purchasing of Russian equipment, and then this dipped during uh, Russia's early intervention in the war, and then it kind of went up again. Um, so this is possibly because Russia's initial involvement lessened Syria's need for, for buying weapons since Russia was already there, and then going up again, possibly again because to replenish, replenish losses. Surface-to-air missile systems, or SAM systems, and ordnance made up most of Syria's orders for Russian military equipment, that were fulfilled between 2008 and 2015. So, 
at the before the before the war started and up to Russia's involvement, Syria was mostly buying surface-to-air missiles. However, guided bombs and armored personnel carriers (APCs) were also bought, and in 2015, 10 T-90S tanks were sent to Syria. CIPRI's arms transfers database notes that between 2016 and 2018. Russia shipped numerous second-hand military vehicles to Syria, including 25 T-62 tanks and 10 BMP-1 infantry carriers, as well as artillery pieces, S-300 SAM launchers, and SAM missiles. These shipments were very likely parts of arms aid packages. So, in the previously mentioned spike in, in uh, sales to Syria, these were likely part of arms aid packages. Syria's neighborhood provides a lucrative market for Russian arms exports. Recent Middle Eastern crises and conflicts have created demand for weapons. In fact, Syria is not Russia's main weapons customer in the region. Cipri's report entitled Trends in International Arms Transfers 2018 says the following, quote, In 2014-2018, Egypt and Iraq were the main recipients of Russian arms exports to the Middle East, accounting respectively for 46 and 36% of Russian arms exports to the region. Deliveries to Iraq increased by 780% between 2009 and 2013 and 2014 to 2018, while those to Egypt rose by 150%. End quote. However, Russia's role in the Syrian war is not the main factor behind the attractiveness of Russian weapons for Middle Eastern buyers. Like Syria's military, the Egyptian and Iraqi armed forces have been using Soviet or Russian equipment for decades. Iraq, like Syria, had also been fighting the Islamic State for years, since 2014, and that was without a Russian military presence within Iraq. Russian arms sales to Iraq were thus not primarily due to the war in Syria, but rather to Iraq's own security needs and its already Russian-equipped military. Dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and I hope that you've been enjoying the thoughts given in the episodes. But I would like to ask if you would consider making a pledge to the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast on Patreon. I have many projects in mind for this podcast, and the books paper, and so on needed to produce the episodes will not be free. Help keep historical thoughts flowing so that we can interpret the past and learn from it. You may pledge any amount that you like, and whatever you choose to give will be appreciated. Thanks a lot, and let's get back to the episode. NATO member Turkey's purchase of the S-400 Triumph, or Triumph, SAM system is perhaps the most well-known and geopolitically significant Russian arms sale in Syria's neighborhood. In response to this arms sale, the United States punished ally Turkey by expelling it from the F-35 Lightning II fighter program in July 2019. In fact, if buyers in Turkey or other countries decide to purchase Russian weapon systems, they may also face American-imposed, quote, secondary sanctions, and these secondary sanctions are, are encoded in, in American law through Section 231A of the CATSA Act, which is an acronym for Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions. Market forces provide another challenge to Russian arms exporters. 
For example, both the United States and France are also are other significant arms suppliers to Middle Eastern countries. Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, for instance, are also American partners, making it more difficult for Russia to court these customers. The Middle East is a significant destination for Russian arms exports, but in fact, between 2014 and 2018, the region only accounted for 16% of Russian sales. It was Russia's third largest weapons export destination. Russia's S-400 deal with Turkey was possible, partly thanks to a Russo-Turkish detente since the latter shootdown of a Russian Sukhoi Su-24 bomber in November 2015. The Syrian civil war was not a factor in this particular arms sale. But has Russia's intervention in that war increased international interest in Russian weapons? The answer is yes, according to the state Russian arms sales corporation Rosoboronexport. Speaking about Moscow's MAX 2019 airshow, the company's director general Alexander A. Mikheyev mentioned the international interest in Russian aircraft, helicopters, and air defense systems. And Rosoboron Export's parent company, Rostec, has noted that such systems have, quote, confirmed their characteristics in Syria. This made the campaign a useful selling point at arms expositions like MAX and the Bahrain International Air Show in 2018. Sergei Shoigu's previously mentioned interview with Moskovsky Komsomolets happened in September 2019, when he called the Syria campaign a valuable experience for Russian military reform. As previously mentioned, about 300 new weapon types were tested and 12 were culled, having been deemed unworthy. In the long-ranged category, Calibre, or Caliber, cruise missiles were fired at enemy positions in Syria from the Mediterranean and Caspian Seas. Minister Shoigu said that over the course of the Syria mission, Russian crews operating the Calibre have drastically improved target acquisition times. As for short-range weapons, the PBK-500U Drell, or Drill, stealth-capable anti-material cluster bomb, has reportedly been used in the country, though other reports have noted delays in its official testing. The Drell can be dropped 30 kilometers away from its target and be guided with the GLONASS GPS system. It is expected to be equipped on the fifth-generation Sukhoi Su-57 fighter and other Russian airplanes. However, the Russian news agency TASS has reported that pilots have also been gaining significant experience in using less expensive conventional gravity bombs. Through the Syrian campaign, bomb sites and navigation systems have reportedly been improved since 2015, allowing pilots to drop conventional bombs to within 15 meters of their targets. The Russian Air Force has used newer airplanes such as the Sukhoi Su-34-35 multi-role fighter in Syria, though this modernized version of the Su-27 flanker has been used for a number of years, combat experience away from domestic proving grounds helped to further prove its capabilities. And in 2018 the Su-57 was tested during 10 flights in Syrian airspace. First flying in 2010, this stealth-capable plane was able to fly in Syria's combat environment before the Russian military received its first mass orders of the aircraft. Uh, 76 Su-57s are slated to be sold to the Russian military by 2028. 
And this is, this is interesting because by 2018, the Syrian government's security was much more certain. Of course, the, the war, the civil war, and as of July 2020, uh, the Syrian civil war is far from over. But by 2018, the situation had stabilized a lot, certainly compared to, the, to when uh, Russia first started getting involved in 2015, when it looked like the Syrian government was about to collapse. So with the strategic situation there being much more stable than in 2015, Syria was an ideal testing ground for the Su-57 in an active foreign theater. What about these systems and the international arms market? The Su-57 has received export permits leading to the Su-57E variant that can be sold internationally. The fighter will thus possibly compete with its American counterpart, the Lockheed Martin F-35 Lightning II, which American allies such as Japan and South Korea have already ordered. Algeria has been a rumored customer of the Su-57E, although I have not confirmed evidence of such a deal. However, Rosso Barone Export is committed to providing localization services for the plane's prospective buyers. India has decided not to purchase the fighter, but China has recently become a, a likely customer considering the Su-57's plane planned capabilities. And this is very interesting because, again, I'm recording this podcast on July 3rd, 2020, and it's very interesting if China is indeed going to purchase Su-57s. This is very interesting because recently, in the last few weeks, We've seen um, India and China have a, have a border clash, and Russia has, in fact, been agreed to sell Russian aircraft to India, and, in fact, has been asked to fast-track this, to proceed, for, proceed more quickly with these sales. So this is a very interesting situation. The Su-57's flights in Syria and the loose use of caliber missiles and other systems in Syria have demonstrated the usefulness of combat testing and experience. However, some factors complicate an evaluation of how Russia-Syria campaign has actually affected international weapon sales. First, exactly which of the around 300 weapon systems have been improved is, is unknown. At least I haven't been able to find Find a list of that beyond ones that you can readily see in Russian media, such as the Kaliber testing of the Su-57 and so on. Secondly, as I've already mentioned, many countries already purchase Russian systems without regard to the Syrian mission, such as Iraq. And also India, who I've just mentioned, has also been a long-time customer of Soviet or Russian systems, and they're not in Syria's neighborhood Modifications made to Russian weapons as a result of their use in Syria inevitably make them more attractive to Middle Eastern buyers, of course. But it, I, I find that it could be difficult to accurately quantify this factor with regards to countries that already buy respective systems. So, for example, Iraq and Syria both have, they're both Middle Eastern countries with desert climates, and and Russia has reportedly been able to improve some weapon systems capabilities in desert environments, you know, counting for temp air temperature, air pressure, or whatever uh, that may affect the weapons. But again, with Syria and Iraq being desert countries and having been long-term customers of Russian, of Russian arms exports, 
how much of these improvements, how much does that actually make these weapons more attractive to already long-term customers? And third, the UK-based defense think tank Chatham House contended in March 2017 that Russian planes and cruise missiles have been used in, quote, largely uncontested space. That's to say that though anti-government forces in Syria, such as the Islamic State and rebel groups, they, they were organized and formidable, they didn't have significant air assets or anti-air systems that a large national army, such as the United States, might be able to deploy. Fourth and finally, exhibitions such as Max and the Dubai Air Shows are, are sort of trade shows that invite potential customers to observe new equipment when combat effectiveness is not as much of a factor. When you go to an air show, you're not directly seeing combat effectiveness. Yet, armed, such trade shows or air shows and, and exhibitions can be effective, but they're not showing combat effectiveness in a direct way. And so, since we're talking about Russian weapon systems and some newer systems, what about some new high-tech ones, such as the Armata Tracked Vehicle Platform? This machine was unveiled in 2015, and in, it exists in T-14 main battle tank and the T-15 infantry fighting vehicle. In 2018, it was reported that the Russian military would be given 132 of the T-14 and T-15 vehicles by 2021. This would be enough for two tank and two motorized infantry battalions. These plans seem to have been changed by November 2019 when Russia's de Deputy Prime Minister Yuri Borisov told Gazeta that the military was planning to modernize older tanks while still accepting the Armata for testing. High costs had led to the cancellation of earlier plans for a mass order of 2,300 Armatas. In addition, Borisov said that the T-72 tank and other Soviet-era vehicles are still popular on the international arms market. They can still be modified for modern conditions, yet it's a lot cheaper than perhaps buying a bunch of new tanks. However, in late April 2020, Russia's trade minister, Denis Manturov, revealed to Rossiya One or Rossiya Adin TV channel that the T-14 Armata tank had indeed been used in Syria. This was done to account for, quote, to account for all the tank's nuances in a combat environment. So similar to the Su-57, which was flown twice, 10 times uh, over Syria. And almost no more details were given than that, such as the time frame of these deployments. You know, were they used in actual combat or were they used in, in test runs in a safer environment in, in Syria? Who knows? I haven't been able to find such such details. Lenta.ru wrote that the Russian Defense Ministry didn't give any official information on exactly how the Armata was used in Syria. Regardless, Minister Manturov suggested that starting from 2021, Russia would work to make the Armata available for export to international buyers. The Kinjal, or Dagger, Hypersonic ballistic missile is another new Russian weapon, which was announced on March 1st, 2018, and tested in Russia's Arctic in 2019. It can apparently achieve a range of 2,000 kilometers or more, depending on the aircraft used to deliver it. 
The Kinchal has not seen use in the Middle East because it is a strategic nuclear-capable weapon whose main feature is hypervelocity. This theoretically allows the missile to evade enemy air defense systems. This was not a concern in the battle against Islamic State and other enemies in Syria. As of July 2020, it's, I would say it's too early to speak of export versions of the Kinjal, even if there would be plans at all to sell such a strategic nuclear-capable ordnance. For the moment, Russia is planning to stay long-term in Syria, considering its reconstruction efforts there and its decades-long lease on the Tartus naval base. And also, with American forces being there as well, I don't see the Russian forces wanting to leave anytime soon. So far, Russian American presence there has not escalated into um, an actual conflict with Russia, so I believe Russia still sees this as an important area to stay in. But if the Syrian war were to become much prolonged, perhaps Russia would deploy Armata tanks there en masse. However, I see the blow-up of Syria as as a purely hypothetical and perhaps even unlikely situation at this point in Syrian conflict. For example, as, as I just said, there has been contact between Russian and American forces there, and so far it has not led to, led to actual conflict between the two powers. Though combat testing is valuable, to ultimately gain traction on the world arms market, the Armata and Russia's other recently introduced systems will be relying on things that have helped Russia advertise and sell other equipment abroad in the past, such as international expositions like MOX and the country's already strong position as a weapons manufacturer and exporter. So has Russia's campaign in Syria helped it sell weapons abroad? I would say yes, but as I've also said, I would say that this would be kind of hard to quantify exactly for the reason that we don't know all of the weapon systems that have been improved and the fact that Russia already has a strong position in the arms market. So, for example, again, Turkey's purchase of S-400 anti-air missiles from Russia, that's not really involving the Syrian conflict. Also, especially since Russia has not been primarily using anti-air defense um, in, in Syria, they've mostly been using aircraft to bomb targets on the ground, right? So Turkey's interest in SAM systems is, is a different, different issue. So that's it for today. Just a few of my thoughts on Russia's campaign in Syria and the arms trade. I hope you enjoyed that and it was um, informative and uh, keep your ears tuned for more episodes which are coming. Thank you very much and have a great uh, July 2020. Uh, we've had a bit of a rough a rough ride so far in 2020 but we're almost we're more than halfway through now. <laughs> so I hope that you are well. Keep safe and take care of each other. Bye bye for now.